Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good morning, everyone. I apologize for running a little behind today. I have a full house of people, and navigating through that can be, you know, everybody does their due diligence and fair attention. <laughs> Anyhow, it's good to be here with you all. Let's begin with the meditation. And I'm going to invite everyone to find a comfortable position. You can sit with your spine erect and gently close your eyes. And taking a few deep breaths in and out, we allow any stress or tension in our physical body to just melt away. So we relax our feet, we relax our tummy, we relax our hands, we relax our shoulders. And we begin to breathe. Breathing in, breathing out. Allowing our attention to lightly fall on our breath. We gently contemplate our intention to clear our mind so we can hear more clearly the voice of God. Holy Spirit. And for two minutes, I offer this mantra. Be still and know I am God. Be still and know I am God. Be still and know I am God. So your mantra is your mind vehicle. So we allow our full attention to just be placed on the mantra. There's no specific breath order that you have to follow, so you don't have to think about it every time you exhale. Just whenever it arises, just be there with the mantra. Be still and know I am God. 
I'll set my timer for, we're actually going to do this for three minutes. And begin. Holy Spirit, we offer this class to you, this conversation to you, each thought, each word. We align our attention with the greatest vision of our lives, with the most loving vision for all life. We offer up anything that might prevent us from being fully present here and now, anything that might prevent us from deepening our listening. Thank you, God, for all the good that is unfolding as our lives, through our lives, around our lives. We're grateful. We're thankful. We know that where we are, God is. God, so expansive, infinite, perfect good, perfect love, perfect light, 
growing, expanding into infinity, knowing that in God, all needs are met. In God, all answers are fulfilled. In God, there is simply light, love, perfect understanding, perfect harmony. We allow this perfect harmony to express now, guiding us, leading us, gently showing us the way. With open hearts and open minds, we go forward in gratitude, knowing that we are so provided for, we are so taken care of. And we share all the benefits of our time together with every sentient being, for we are one with them. In grace and gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. Amen. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. It's always good to uh, connect in. Ah, all right. Beautiful. That I am meditation is always potent, very potent. And uh, you all will actually be doing it as part of your homework assignment this uh, this week is to do the I Am Meditation. It's a much longer extended version of it, but it's really powerful. And so I look forward to uh, hearing your experience with it uh, next week. Um, Okay, so I wanted to grab my copy of our spiritual resources and We can have a conversation. So let's check in real quick. Do a quick roll call here. Brandon, you here? No, no, Brandon. I know that he was he's trapped. here somewhere. Sorry, huh? it took me a minute to get off of mute. My little home button on my phone didn't recognize my little thumbprint. Oh. I'm like, let me in, let me in, let my people go. <laughs> you really are, you really are the Moses of, of this class. <laughs> I think we all, I, I think we all recognize that. <laughs> so all that is to say that I'm here. <laughs> and uh, in that, in that production of Brandon's roll call, I also heard key players like Mark and Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and uh, I see Florida, so that means Ellie's on the line. We're just going to take a little break at nine to the work hall. Hello, and Soki. I'm inspired. Oh, good. Thank God. I, I love it when you're inspired, Soki. And uh, how about uh, Martha? Good morning. Good morning. Okay, good. All right. I'll pull gangs here. Sweet. Okay, guys, so why don't we pull up our um, homework from this last week um, and just dive into the conversation today. I'm just going to draw up our um, module from last week. I have this week's up on my screen, so... Uh, anything that anybody would like to share before we dive in? Any uh, cool stuff happening in your life that you want to share at the group level? Any uh, challenges, prayer requests, and so forth? 
Um, you know, I know that uh, only two of you posted, unless I'm, I missed one, in the Facebook group about the reading, How Should the Teacher of God Spend His Day? Does anyone have anything that you'd like to share about that reading? We didn't quite get to it in class. So uh, anyone else have any insights you'd like to say or any aha moments? Even those who shared, can posted, can share as well. I just have a question in regards yeah. to, um, is the word magic, like uh-huh. the last page kind of, uh-huh. it wasn't, um, I wasn't quite getting it. Can you mm-hmm. kind of talk about a little bit about the whole magic thing? Are they referring like illusions or like? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. So magic, like magic thinking, and we're actually going to go into that. So I think probably most of your most of your your question will be answered today in the reading that we do in the course. But uh, you know, a magical thought is a thought that you believe, and um, this is Reverend Jesse's version. This is how I work with it: is a thought that you believe is going to save you in some way. So like a magical, like medicine based on A Course in Miracles, medicine is magic because we believe that a pill is going to somehow save us or cure us in some way. But what A Course in Miracles knows is that the body is not creative. And so the only healing can be done at the level of the mind. And so all disease is a, uh, all that disease in the body is, is a symptom. It's a symptom of a belief. And the belief is what? What belief, what belief causes the experience or the appearance of disease in the body? Separation. Sorry? Separation is pretty much the container in which all of the, the <clears throat> false ideas and beliefs are stored in, sort of like the filing cabinet. So, but this specific, the the specific appearance of disease is a symptom of the belief that we are body. Mm-hmm. And so that's where disease is formed, is in the belief that we are bodies, which we are not. And the belief that as a body, the body is somehow creative, which it is not. The mind is creative. Our thoughts are creative. The body is not. So the appearance of disease, now this is advanced, this is advanced practice, right? So we always have to work at the level that we're comfortable at here and now. You know, to refer back to that story I talked a lot about um, that Reverend Muriel shared that one time about being diagnosed with breast cancer, uh, really wanting to address it at the level of the mind, but not being, but she had so much fear around it because she wasn't ready to leave her husband or her daughter that she knew the most peaceful path for her would be to do the chemo as she continued to work on her mind, you know? So, but what it is saying is like the pills, all that stuff, they have no real power, only in the illusion, because they seem to heal the body. They seem to heal the symptom, the disease, but all healing is done at the level of the mind. So it's magic. We have magic pills, magic solutions that we think are helping us when really they're just working at the level of the illusion. Does okay. that make any, make it make sense? Yeah. 
Okay, so okay. anything that we use to try to solve something, sometimes it's useful in, depending on where we're at spiritually, but if, I mean, in reality, mm-hmm. it's just all trying to fix the illusion. Okay. I got oh, it. Martha, you so hit such a big, big, big teaching point there. Is your, we're try, we so often try to fix the illusion. We spend so much time trying to fix the illusion. Who could give another example of how we try to fix the illusion instead of transcend the illusion, create a new world? What's another way that we try to fix the illusion? Distractions. What do you mean by that? Um, like um, addictive behaviors, distractions, um, like whatever you're you're getting in, um, whatever you're seeing, whatever you know, whatever someone normally uh, will go to um, to distract, like. Mm-hmm. Um, unhealthy relationships or eating bad foods or um, or but thinking that you're or going out or drinking or thinking mm-hmm. that you are just, oh I'm just having fun or I'm in love again or I'm you know just mm-hmm. patterns in your life so that you're not focusing on um, what's at hand you know what's what you're distract you're in another illusion. You're, you're putting yourself into another illusion versus being in the Yeah. Now. Yeah. Wow. You know, at, initially I was like, okay, she's missing it a little bit, but then you talked yourself into it, <laughs> which, <laughs> which I really oh, learned. That, that's actually a really uh, important thing to consider, guys, as facilitators, is you have to give people the space to talk it out because so often – if you and I've learned this because I was always interjecting, trying to guide people in the direction I thought they needed to go, but they always got there if I just let them have the space to get there. So, <clears throat> Ellie, when you said thinking that the new relationship is going to save you or fix you in some way, that was spot on. That's a great way that you we 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 believe that if we can, you know, I'm lonely, so a relationship, you know. But um, the loneliness, you know, is a symptom of a deeper belief system, which is separation, right? So if we can create from the space of unity, you know, then we're not trying to, we're not putting our faith in the illusion to save us. So another example, Ellie, that you said too was like, um, uh, you know, I've seen people, you know, at w- working as a personal trainer, I saw people trying to save themselves by losing weight, thinking that that was going to save them. That's going to be the magic, and the magic uh, solution to feeling unlovable or insecure, you know, and yet it never really worked. Maybe temporarily they felt some re- uh, relief from the belief system, but inevitably, because they didn't do anything at the level of the mind, the same experience began to manifest. And not always as weight gain, but something else, you know. Oftentimes, usually as weight gain, that people gain the weight back because, um, because the habits that they've developed to avoid 
the feelings and the thinking usually were with, you know, certain foods. But here's the big kicker, guys. Here's the real big, big, big fun one that you can contemplate. And this is one of the most unpopular things. So I don't invite you to really try to debate this with people. In fact, I've had people leave Inspire because I casually talked about this in conversation and they thought I was crazy. But if you think about it, if what, is, what are a couple beliefs that we have about the body that um, it needs in order to survive? What's the big one? Oxygen, obviously, like we need to breathe. But what's the, what's the big one? What do we sit at the table and gather around to do? Eat food. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Eat food. So there's a real belief that we need food to survive, right? And then if you look at all, since, you know, it is a crazy dream that we're all experiencing, we've decided certain food has certain effects and other food has other effects, right? And that certain chemicals in food is bad for you and other chemicals in food is good for you and certain um, certain foods will have certain effects on the body. But if the body is not creative, then what is actually creating the experience of good food versus bad food? Mark, our beliefs. Our beliefs. So it's our beliefs about the food we eat that will have the effect that it has in our, on our body, in our body. So m- many of these are, you know, cultural, shared cultural beliefs that we have a lot of research to back them up to prove that it's right, but if we're not the body and the body's not creative, then how could that possibly be true? It's a magical belief. So we believe that asparagus is going to have really good effects on our body, and we believe that Reese's Pieces are going to have really negative effects on our body. One is good, one is bad. If you eat one type of food, then you really love yourself. It's very loving to eat this type of food, and it's very unloving to eat this type of food. Again, another belief system that just isn't true. How could it possibly be true? And so if you really, when we really get into this conversation of magical thinking, when we get into the conversation of belief systems and the illusion, what we think is going to save us, what we just accept as right without questioning it, we see how many layers of deception and insanity and crazy thinking there are. And so these are all of the layers that we're peeling off doing this work. Now, if it feels like there's like, well, that's billions and billions of belief systems that we would have to, you know, release in order to truly experience freedom, you're right. However, the good news is, is we don't have to address each individual belief system. We shift our mind uh, on to, and, and focus on what we're interested in. And in the process of disciplining our mind to stay focused on our highest intention, you know, to be, you know, um, sh- to, to prepare ourselves to be uh, ready for miracles, miracle-mindedness, as we continue to energize the vision that is emerging of freedom, of peace, of true peace, of true love, then so many of those things are, they just melt away. And the ones that are preventing you from sustaining that experience, that awareness, you know, that practice of, you know, unforgiveness, of, of forgiveness and non-judgment, uh, the, the big ones will present themselves oftentimes through your relationships so that you can heal them, so you can continue to, 
to expand and grow in your awareness of your oneness with God. Isn't that a fun one? Brandon and I had a conversation um, on uh, my podcast this last week about activism and politics. And politics is a big one that we believe are going to save us. We believe that the right person in the White House is going to save us and that we're allowed to feel a certain way if one person is in there and we have to feel a certain way if another person is in there. We believe that laws are going to save us. We believe that all these things are going to save us. And, you know, that's what uh, Reverend Roxy calls the political game, you know, the game of politics. And all of that is just insanity as well. How could it possibly save us? This is why we develop the discipline to stay firmly focused on what brings us joy, to go towards our inspired ideas. Now, if your inspired ideas lead you to the political realm, bravo, beautiful, and go be the light of God in that realm. But it might lead you to, um, you know, something else. And since there's a, there's a collective conscious belief that you're being irresponsible if you're not paying attention to the political climate, then you'll have to work through the judgment of others that people project onto you that you're being irresponsible by not giving a hoot. But, you know, this is, this is all the different ways that our work presents itself. Um, let's open up the group and just Wait, talk about the conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about allergies? Like, um, your whole food theory. Like, what if someone has an allergy to something? So they don't, let's say they don't know they have it. There's no preconceived idea or thought that if I eat this, it's bad for me. What about mm-hmm. that? Again, allergy, reaction, physical reaction, disease is all an extension of the belief that you are a body. And so those things, those symptoms manifest and express to keep you firmly in that belief that you are a body. So it's something that with your soul, like, say some people have like a really bad allergy to peanuts, but they don't mm -hmm. know. And they have Mm -hmm. peanuts and the throat they get, you know. The throat closes up, they have to rush to the hospital, but they never mm-hmm. do that. You know, mm-hmm. on, a, on, a, on a subconscious level from a previous life or prior to incarnating, that the soul chose that or, or the body? To, I mean, that's what I, I'm unclear on. Well, yeah, I mean, people, and this is a completely, this is another conversation altogether about, you know, is the script written? Have we agreed to specific experiences? What is our curriculum? So the course is that we all have an individualized curriculum. And if a peanut allergy is part of your curriculum, then that's part of your curriculum. Now, one interesting thing, you brought up food allergies. A really interesting thing to consider, guys, is have you noticed that there are trends with food allergies? What's the big trend? What's one big trend in food allergies right now? Gluten. Yeah, right? So suddenly, all of these people, like, I mean, you know, when I was a kid, no one was talking about gluten intolerance, you know? No one. And now suddenly, everyone is gluten intolerant. And there are specific symptoms that go along with this diagnosis, with this this intolerance. And there are shared symptoms. But... Isn't it interesting that um, symptoms come in trends? So why do you think that is? Why do you think allergy symptoms arise as trends? 
collective mind. Yes. Yes. It's in the collective consciousness. And remember, we know about the law of cause and effect. So if you start researching all of the symptoms of gluten, if you, do, if, you, if you allow yourself to pay a lot of attention to it, what, is going to, what are you going to experience more of? Intolerance. Yeah, more symptoms. <laughs> so remember, we are, our thoughts are creative. Our minds are creative. That's what's creative, not the body. Our minds are creative. That's our creative resource in this experience. So pretty interesting stuff. That's why developing a meditation practice in which you can consciously make the intention to clear the mind, to focus your breath, your mind on your breath, allow yourself to clear the space, create space in the density so that you can begin to hear the voice of your guide, your loving guide, the Holy Spirit, is so important. It's so helpful, I would say. I think it's very helpful because you're becoming mindful of the thoughts that are arising in your consciousness. And you get to see sort of, you begin to like connect the dots in the landscape of your narrative because you're seeing, oh my gosh, well, no wonder I'm having that experience. No wonder I'm having that experience. Look at the thoughts that are arising. Look at all the things that are coming up. And through the practice of meditation, you learn not to attach to them. Through the process of inquiry, like the Byron Katie inquiry, we learn how to free ourselves from them by doubting them, by questioning them, asking, is it really true? So, I think that this is such interesting, wonderful, cool, thrilling work and conversation. I just think it's so great. Anyone else have anything they'd like to share? Another question? Just one more. Yeah. In regards, in that same um, section, it mentions like uh, when we quiet down to sit down. So I was a little bit surprised that it said like to sit down. Does it explain more why we need to be like not laying down? Not lying down? You mean to sit? Yeah. Because wouldn't that be giving like, I just, I mean, yeah, I want to know if that was described like. What happens uh, when you lie down? Often you get more comfortable and you might conk out. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, So sitting up straight, it supports you in staying awake while you do well, consciously do the Well, work. I figured that part, but my question is, did Jesus have Helen? Is the teachers for Manuel also come from Jesus, or was this like, like an added book? It's all from the same source that identifies itself as Jesus, yes. Okay, I was, yeah, okay. I was just wondering that little part, because mm-hmm. I... It, did, it didn't elaborate, like, I mean, I've heard it and I make sense, but I, at the same token, my mind is thinking, well, doesn't that give power to the belief in the body that it has to be a certain way in order to do it? And it didn't elaborate, I, like, well, it's better because of. But then I haven't read the whole 
book. So I don't know if it, you know, elaborates on that in other areas. No, you know what, Martha? You're right. Mm-hmm. You know what? Let's, everyone, go burn your copy of A Course in Miracles. Martha finally tapped it. The whole reason for doing this is so we could finally get to the realization <laughs> that <laughs> we've been played, people. No. Okay, so so why do you think that that the guide, the author of A Course in Miracles, identified itself as Jesus? What was the um, the majority of the people in America, and that's where, uh-huh. sort of where the book was was uh, written, you know, uh-huh. in the, in the 1960s, the majority of the Americans were of what faith? Christian. Christian faith, yeah. So uh-huh. this, uh, and it explains that it really speaks to that mindset because it a lot of what the course does is it offers um, a different interpretation of biblical teaching to align people with spiritual truth because so much has been misinterpreted. So it's speaking to the collective consciousness, um, which at the time was the majority of them were Christian, still is, still is. And, uh, but also, you know, you have to be able to work with people where they're at. You have to be able to work, you know, where they're at. So, you know, there's no point in saying transcend body awareness as you do this as you do this meditation because how could they possibly do that? You know, they haven't transcended body awareness, so it's working at the level that we're at. So at the level that we're at, you you lie down, you're more likely to fall asleep. So this is a practice in um, learning how to consciously develop the awareness to be present with your thinking than sitting up to speak to that makes sense to me. Does it make sense to you? Okay. So that's the part that I had forgotten or that, that I was missing because it was kind of a little bit of bothering me because I was thinking with people that are sick and are unable to sit down, how can mm-hmm. they relate to that? But mm-hmm. the whole thing of what you mentioned right now, when the period that it was written, Mm-hmm. You know, so that makes sense. Yeah, okay. And, and I think, you know, Ernest Holmes says, do what works. And so, I mean, if you're in a, you know, does that teaching not apply to someone lying in a hospital bed? Of course not. Like, you, you do what you can, where you can, with what you have. You know what I mean? Okay. Okay, thank okay. you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's dive in really quick to the week three worksheet. Not really quick. We can spend time on it if we'd like. Uh, great. You guys are asking all the right questions. You're definitely going in the right direction. And, um, yeah, just really uh, bow to that, guys. You're, you're doing this work. These are really good conversations we're having. So let's do number one. Reverend Jennifer Hadley once said, the only success you need to concern yourself with is your spiritual expansion. And Actually, the correct quote I realized later, and I'll correct this, is, your spiritual unfoldment. In your own words, please offer a clear explanation of this teaching and expand on this idea. Who would like to share what they wrote? You can also share the A and the B.
Mark, would you like to go? Oh, okay. Yep. My uh yeah, my phone just uh had the same issue Brandon has. All right. Um <laughs> so um Jennifer is what she's referencing here is that um we often will look for success in outer experiences. So through our careers, through relationships, through our health. Um and that that looking for that um looking for that evidence, that validation of success in the outer is really, a, a, it's like a false idol. It's a misplaced um, red hearing of tr where true success lies. And true success is only ever in our, our expansion of our, of our, I guess, our inner knowing and in the, in the capacity, or I should say not expansion of our inner knowing, but it's, it's uh, an awareness of and a practice of um, and an experience of our inner knowing. Um, so that's what true success is, because when you're really working in that space rather than the outer validations, um, one, your success is immediate and your success is lasting, it's eternal, um, which the only true success in life is that which is eternal, which as we know is love. Beautiful. And why would we consider spiritual ex uh, awareness success like what perspective does it offer you and i'm phrasing this question wrong maybe i won't phrase it as a question maybe we'll just converse um when you have the when your spiritual awareness begins to um as joel goldsmith would say like when you're a student of truth and you really begin the journey of um, allowing the truth to express, you know, to come forth and express in your life, when you're looking through the lens of truth, you begin to see the true value of everything else. So how does that, speak on that a little bit, Mark, when you're beginning to see the value of other things. And why don't you, uh, the A and B of that, that question asks, you know, to personalize it a bit. So, like, do you have an experience in which you started to see uh, the true value in something that you used to highly value, and then you began to see its true value, and what was that experience like? Um, yeah, so, so I'll kind of answer that in two parts. So the first part is when, you, when you're doing, when you're in spiritual practice and you're expanding your awareness of, of truth, what you start to recognize is that probably almost everything in this world that you think is valuable is truly valueless because the only thing that has value is that which is eternal. Um, so in, in terms of my own experience, um, oh God, I mean, I could really point in any direction, but I'll just go with what's here now, which is um, as I have continued to evolve my work with my mother, um, and really, I, I think I'm at a point of re-looking at what is the relationship I have with her and what value do I place in that? Um, and, and recognizing, speaking to this conversation around truth, 
and value is that I've, I've made my relationship with her, um, I've assigned it value. Um, I've assigned it importance. I've assigned it dominion over my happiness. Um, and if my relationship with her, quote, unquote, is not successful, um, then that means there is some value that I'm missing out on. And I'm starting, as I'm doing my work and, and returning to truth, and I, I, I'm trying to look at that relationship from the context of, of truth, of God's perspective, that there is no value in our relationship. There's a value in in a re, there's value in a relationship that's based in true love and and um, unconditional love, uh, forgiveness, compassion. There's value in that, but there's because that's eternal. Those are eternal qualities. But there's no value in my wanting her to be happy because that's not eternal. That's that's subject to wherever she's at in her, her own journey. Um, there's no value in me wanting a relationship with her where she's happy with me because that's not eternal either. Um, so that is a personal perspective of, of the conversation I'm having here around what's true and what's value versus valueless. Mm -hmm. So if Christ is experienced in our relationships, how can you apply that to your experience with your mother? Because, yes, is your judgment valueless? Of course, yeah, because, you know, if you're not seeing her as wholly innocent, then obviously you're not seeing her accurately, and the, misac the, the inaccurate depiction of your mother, you know, whatever, whether it be projection or whatever, that's your experience with it, uh, it has no value because it's not real. So how can we begin to experience the Christ in your relationship with your mother? What, what, would that, what is that process looking like for you? You shared a little bit of it, but uh, if you were to yeah. take it to the next level. I, well, I think the next level, which I'm moving towards, is, is coming back to the golden key, which is turn my attention to God, not to her. Turn my attention to God. Turn my attention to what feels most joyous. Turn my attention to what feels most loving. And that may look, because I know not what anything is for, that may look like we have physical relationship, like in terms of we're in each other's physical world together, or that may look like we don't. And maybe our relationship is a relationship that's done separate from communication with each other. Um, and being open to that, really letting spirit guide me in terms of what relationship with my mother will, will have, be of most value and, and, and letting go that my cultural perspective of what a healthy relationship is supposed to look like and really lean into what spirit calls me to, uh, to, to experience in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we can do forgiveness work without the person in the room with us. In fact, sometimes it's easier to do that. <laughs> so, and I will note too, you know, something I've really observed, Mark, uh, this last year, I think is a really good example of this, that, the, the more you let go of how your career was supposed to look, the more freedom you seem to have in it and fun you have with it. And it's not that, and this is a perfect example of, you know, when people come to you thinking that they have to sacrifice success and abundance and all that stuff to have a spiritual life, that that's not what has to unfold at all. 
but you can have more fun and freedom in the relationship with your career, you know, in the experience and letting go, which I think, Mark, you're demonstrating really beautifully now. You want to speak to that just for a hot second so we can move on? Uh, yeah, I mean, you spoke to it quite well. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I've, I certainly I've been more centered in my practice and my, my spiritual work, um, and my career has taken off exponentially. Um, uh, in, in so many ways I never, ever could have imagined um, or, or, or forced to happen. Um, so, yeah, the less, less you look at what you think something is supposed to be or the way it's supposed to look, and the more you just turn your attention to God, things will unfold in ways that are beyond what you could have imagined to begin with, in career or otherwise. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's such a good lesson of the power of surrendering something to the highest possible vision, which might look different for other people. What's emerging for me, what I'm seeing in my life is, is what I'm feeling pulled toward is actually less about, you know, a presence in the, uh, the older I get, I think the more practice I do, like the more things sound appealing to me that never sounded appealing to me, like a small cottage in Ashland, Oregon, where I can, do my spiritual practice, be with my family and go to Mount Shasta, <laughs> like, and work in the invisible and feeling a real pull to work in the invisible, uh, which I never really felt that strong of a pull towards that before. It was always a pull towards working in the material. So, uh, you know, life really transforms when you allow it to. I go back to that Byron Katie phrase, which is so great. It's right there in the book when people feel like they have to sacrifice something that they want in order to have, you know, or sacrifice their ambition and motivation in order to be peaceful now. And the response is, how could you possibly know that's true? How could you know that's true unless you are? So let's pass the baton to the other gentleman in the class. And Brandon, why don't you look at number two and, and talk us through number two. Goldsmith writes, the substance of all form is invisible. In your own words, please explain explain what the author is teaching with this phrase. Hello. So with the substance of all form is invisible. Um, if we're, you know, kind of going along the lines of the Joseph Murphy teachings and all that, then um, we're talking about the, initial substance being uh, for us humans being thought and then for God being pre-thought, just being, just being. So when the substance of all forms is invisible, that means it's anything, any of the ideas that God has instilled in us are the things that are actually creating what's real up around us. And, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that we're observing that we think we're seeing is not real. It's not real substance. And it's not um, actually what we think it would be. And that's what I have for that. Yeah, so God is the substance of all form or the inspired ideas that move, yeah, that grow through us, right? And if you really think about it, 
uh, you know, this is the way to think about it. I always think about, like, look at a building. If, we, if we're, like, thought forms arising, right, where did that building originate? It originated in someone's mind. And so here we have a manifestation of a thought form in front of us. So that's a beautiful way, simple example of a thought form that has manifested into the material world that started in the invisible. But the substance of that came from the architect's idea through his imagination. You know, and God, if God truly is omnipresent, then it's in all things, right? Now, how can we work with that with, like, let's say the political landscape that's arising in our awareness right now? You know, it's simply the manifestation of thought forms. Thought forms arising. So why does this, why is this, can this be comforting? So Brandon, why, in knowing that what we experience in our life, in the material realm, are everything is the rise of a thought form. Why can that, how can that bring us comfort? Well, it can be, it can bring us comfort mostly because, Mostly if we know the A Course in Miracles saying that nothing real can be threatened, nothing unreal exists, uh, meaning anything unlike love doesn't actually exist. So if you're believing, because it, it's not comforting if you believe that evil thoughts can arise in you and take over the world, but it is comforting to know that if I have a thought that is even, you know, fearful, then it, it doesn't last for eternity. It doesn't last. The only thing that's able to last is um, the comforting, loving thought that is always underneath it all. So um, I don't know. I totally right now just blanked out on your initial question, but I think it was about why is it comforting that all things arise through thoughts? Was that what it was? Yeah, why are all, if all things are thought forms rising, then how can we use that to bring comfort? Oh, and, and just very simply, because we can redirect and start anew at any moment, um, just based exactly. on changing our thinking. That's it. That's it. That's what I was looking for. That's the golden nugget. <laughs> um, <laughs> welcome to the chocolate factory, Charlie. Um, <laughs> Well, that truly is, is, I mean, that really is the golden ticket because it's like, I, I loved so much how Venerable talked about, about that on uh, last week when she said, ugh, it's so boring. And she was talking about racism. She was talking about xenophobia. She was talking about sexism. She was talking about, you know, hateful rhetoric. And she was just like, ugh, I don't even... You know, she was saying that she doesn't engage in, in that. She doesn't even uh, pay much mind to it because she finds it so boring because she sees it for what it is. It's just the manifestation of ego thought form. And why would she pay any mind to it? And why is she not afraid of it? So, Brandon, how can you look at that, something that appears to be evil, even violence, and not be afraid of it? What does that require on the end of the practitioner? So for me, I don't know if this is what you're looking for, but for me, the most useful way is to see everyone as innocent and, um, and seeing people as children of God. And even in a very imaginative way, seeing someone as a child, as opposed to 
this big looming force that's going to destroy us um, is is a excellent step for me to stop having those fear thoughts run my mind. Um, yeah. That's well, that's yeah. how I that's how I have to work with it too. I have to look at Trump as like a as like a spoiled child, you know, like having a tantrum, you know, or trying to get his way. Um, because it's helpful. It's helpful to see them as that because that helps us forgive. And take it a step mm-hmm. further is is we have to be willing to believe that we are not these bodies because it is the fear arises from what is going to happen to this body. That's what prevents so many people from taking a stand or say, you know, taking a stand in love or saying what needs to be said because they're afraid that the body will be jailed, the body will be hurt, the body will be enslaved, the body will, something will happen to this body. But if you can transcend, um, if, if, we, if we know that these are thought forms arising, including this body is a thought form arising, and that it is not the truth of who we are, then we can transcend the fear of what might happen to it and do what needs to be done. And so uh, it's interesting, interesting conversation, interesting thing to look at because, you know, it's that, that the fear of death, the fear of death, and because we believe that death is the end, end of our existence, prevents us from doing so much in life or this like ticking time clock that we have to achieve a certain amount of something by a certain age or else we're a failure or we haven't got our stuff together. I heard that. Uh, remember, do you guys remember that Baz Luhrmann song that he released in 1999, which I loved because that was the year I graduated high school? Uh, Use sunscreen always. There's this wonderful line in it that he says, you know, um, oh, something about uh, most 20-year-olds he meets have no idea what they want to do with their life. And the most 40-year-olds, the most interesting, interesting 40-year-olds that he knows still don't know what they want to do with their life. And I thought, oh, yeah, so true. But, you know, again, we go back to cultural beliefs. Uh Uh-oh, you have to have this figured out by this age or this means this about you. And it's in our willingness to doubt that, to question it, that we can have freedom from it and then just do whatever the hell we want to do. It brings us joy. God forbid. You know, look at things that you won't do because you think, oh, well, spiritual people don't do that. And that's why it's, it's essential that I think every true spiritual practitioner at least has one sit down with Reverend Roxy because she completely, well, in one sitting, she'll heal you of that belief system of what you think spiritual people are supposed to do and act and be. <laughs> she'll spank it out of you if you let her. Okay, so... Uh, and just so you know, no one's getting spanked in this class. That was just, uh, it was a reference to her profession as a dominatrix. It's not actually part of the curriculum. <clears throat> it will probably, however, be part of the ministerial curriculum. So just prepare yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, number three. Give an example from your life when you made someone else responsible for your salvation. Soki, when, uh, what's, an, what's a time in your life that you made somebody else responsible for your salvation? So when did you give your power to somebody else thinking that if they loved you, if they behaved a certain way, then you could be at peace? 
Well, uh, with my uh, belief on marriage, that if Carmela will marry me, I will be saved. <laughs> mm. I will be perfect, whole, and complete. But the truth is, I'm already perfect, whole, and complete, <laughs> even if she marries me or not. And now that you're married, how's the experience? Oh, it's even better. <laughs> because we bring the completeness, perfection in each and every one of us, and we work together as a team, and I like it better. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, a lot of people have that. Uh, you know, I, I feel, again, the feminist in me, you know, always really feels for women because of so much of the bullshit that is fed to women through the media and through these ideas, you know, the perfect wedding, you know, finding a man to, you know, I I have a cousin that's going to be 40 and she's single. And I really talked with her about healing the belief that there's something wrong with her because she hasn't found someone. She's not married. She doesn't have any kids. And, you know, what does that mean? Might as well throw in the towel, blah, 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 blah. And all that stuff that she's had to transcend because it's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. So that's a perfect example, Soki, being saved by a wedding through a marriage. And in freeing yourself from that and letting your partner off the hook, you can actually enjoy the experience if it unfolds. So perfect. Okay, Jennifer, number four. Goldsmith writes, rest more, relax more, realize more during our creative process. Why? And why don't we just kind of do the whole shebang? Why might this feel counterintuitive to many Americans? And is there experience from your life when you accomplish more by doing less? Why would Goldsmith, why does Goldsmith say, do less, accomplish more? Right. <clears throat> Um, what I've written here is, you know, life is moving very quickly and each day thousands of incidents happen and we need to have time to reflect on all the incidents of our life for the learning that is inherent within it. Um, we need to be able to replay the incidents and find new alternative endings and all of these things um, can be done during that restful, relaxing realization time. Uh, and the rest and relaxation prepare us for handling what's coming next. And uh, this is counterintuitive to many Americans because we're taught at very young ages to achieve, to get trophies and awards. And uh, for me personally, I had a very deep desire to have my parents, you know, love as a reward. And that pushed me to do a lot of things. Um, where I would get recognition. We're constantly uh, seeing what our society thinks success looks like in the media, on television, in songs, etc., from very, very young age. And um, an experience in my life where I accomplished more by doing less was at the Inspire Retreat. My first Inspire Retreat, because I was freaking out because I manage this video production company and I am always on call to my team and the idea of shutting my phone off completely, not checking it, was revolutionary. 
And, uh, and in doing so, like, you know, I left the retreat saying, man, if I could just do this routine every day, I'd be so much happier than I am today, waking up, do some yoga with Steven, have some meditation, take a class, have some great conversation, eat a communal meal with some of amazing people, you know, like just the whole process of the day and, and turning that phone off and being able to uh, just do, I mean, for me, it felt like I was doing a lot less, but I was doing something with more value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, it's, the we ha we we are so busy doing that we and giving of our talents, our resources, our energy, that we've lost the ability to receive. And when we quiet our mind, much like Jennifer said, we can reflect upon everything that has the, the patterns that are weaving themselves in front of us. We have to be mindful of the patterns. In fact, as spiritual counselors, when you start doing this work um, as spiritual counseling, and just FYI, if you're curious, uh, in the new year is when we're going to start doing our practical work as count- with counseling and really shift our attention onto that. The last module is completely dedicated to that. But, uh, but when you are uh, in spiritual counseling, you're, you are listening deeply to... See, so you can become aware of the patterns that are active in your client's life. And those patterns indicate their consciousness, their belief systems that are active, and then you can gently um, guide them to developing, um, you know, guide them to an awareness of those by just, by just pointing them out. So it begins with yourself. What patterns are active in your life? What are preventing your creative process and are you able to actually relax quiet your mind enough to receive to receive the inspired ideas that are ready to grow out of your experience so so the most creative place we can be is in meditation and this is why as you drift to sleep, it says, you know, review your day, redo the day. Uh, you know, Joseph Murphy says, as you're going to sleep, you know, shift your attention to what it is you're interested in because this is the most creative time of the day is when we're quieting our minds. So it feels counterintuitive to the American culture because we're taught to do, to do, 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 do. Get her done, get her done, get her done. Make it happen. Not allow it to happen, but make it happen. So now we're looking at the difference between creating something and making something. Forcing something to bend to your idea of what you think is best for you instead of allowing the best, most powerful and creative situation and path to present itself, to flow through you. Very different way of holding it. Uh, very good, Jennifer. Thank you for sharing. And last, last, and this is important, in healing work, remember that we cannot meet a problem on the level of the problem. Martha, why is that? What does that mean? Why can't we meet a problem at the level of the problem? 
Because if you focus on the problem, you continue to have more of it. That's not what. Yeah. And you make it real. And you make it real. So all healing is done where, Martha? At the level of what? The mind. Yes. So all healing is done at the level of mind. And what is the great healer? What is the great healer? Yeah, what is the great healer? All healing is done at the level of the mind, and this is the great healer. What is it? Well, I mean, in my mind, I just, I mean, when you say that, God, love. Yeah, yeah, love. Love is the great healer. So we shift our mind to God. So Goldsmith says when you begin a treatment, start the prayer with the word God. And then you just completely shift your full attention to God. You're not in the story. You're not at the disease. You're not even, you don't even have to bring the person into it. You just affirm God. And why does this work? Because we're allowing the truth. Anyone, but you too. Why do you think that works? And allowing your full awareness to be on God. Why does that? Why is that healing? Why do we experience miracles when we do that? Hmm. For some reason, I'm going blank. I mean, even though you just said it right now, which I know is that we're in the. Mm-hmm. It's all good. Are, which is yes. Which there's no sickness, there's no lack, there's everything's perfect. Yes, <laughs> yes. So we bring everyone back. We bring our awareness back to the truth in which there is no dis-ease, there is no disharmony, there's no lack, there's no limitation, there's no bad relationships, there's no heart problem, there's no you know uh, perfect job that's going to save you. We simply affirm the truth. That is the job of the spiritual practitioner. That is the job of your, of your um, treatment, is just to affirm the truth. Not to affirm that, ain't this awful, this is so bad, this shouldn't be happening, you should get the job, you shouldn't get the divorce, he should treat you better. We're not bringing any of that shit into it. We're simply, that's all story. That's all story that people have developed to, to justify why they're miserable. But they're miserable because they're believing something that isn't true. So why spend any time or precious energy on what isn't true? We simply, right away, go right to God. We go to God. Now, we've developed the G-O-D-S prayer method so we can lift the vibration, we can teach them to look for what's working, we can offer up the situation, but... The treatment is D. The treatment is declare. That's spiritual mind treatment. Okay? So let's take uh, five minutes. Let's come back at 945, okay? Awesome. Go team.
All right. So let's uh, get back to work. Uh, any anything come up for anybody? Any questions? Any thoughts arise? Any insights during the break? Okay. How are you guys enjoying the Joel Goldsmith uh, reading? I like the teachings. Uh, I like, you know, his level of depth. Um, I feel like some people might read this book and not understand any of it. And that, so I'm feeling like I like the level at which he's talking. But I do find, like, I struggle to stay present because of the same reason. <laughs> so I love it. <laughs> and then it's like, oh. mm-hmm. This book is such a good resource. And the reason why we use this specific one of Goldsmith's, because it's not, this is not his most famous book at all. His most famous book is The Infinite Way. But I just found that this book is, like, so totally um, all about treatment, like mind treatment, that it's the, it's, it should be your guidebook for when you start meeting with um, clients because he's just so spot on about what it is that we're doing here as practitioners. I think it's really, uh, really clear writing. Anyone else? Okay, so let's turn to Lesson 17. I'm sorry, Chapter uh, 17 in Manual for Teachers. Okay, how do God's teachers deal with magical thoughts? So we're going to revisit the conversation from earlier in class that Martha um, started. So to honor that, Martha, you'll, you'll read first. So the reading order will be this. Uh, it will be Martha, Mark, Jennifer, Brandon, L.E., Sophie. I'm sorry, I just so, got back. What page? Page 44 in Manual for Teachers. How do God's teachers deal with magical thoughts? You're going to go first. So one, Martha, Mark, Jennifer, Brandon, L.E., Soki. Okay. How do one God's teachers... Go ahead. One paragraph at a time, and uh, yeah, Martha, whenever you're ready. Okay. How do God's teachers deal with magic thoughts? This is a crucial question both for teacher and pupil. If this issue is mishandled, the teacher of God has hurt himself and has also attacked his pupil. This strengthens fear and makes the magic seem quite real to both of them. How to deal with magic thus becomes a major lesson for the teacher of God to master. His first responsibility in this is not to attack it. 
If a magic thought arouses anger in any form, God's teacher can be sure that he is strengthening his own belief in sin and has condemned himself. He can be sure as well that he has asked for depression, pain, fear, and disaster to come to him. Let him remember, then, it is not this that he would teach, because it is not this that he would learn. There is, however, a temptation to respond to magic in a way that reinforces it, nor is this always obvious. It can, in fact, be easily concealed beneath a wish to help. It is this double wish that makes the help of little. It is this double wish that makes the help of little value and must lead to undesired outcomes. Nor should it be forgotten that the outcome that the results will always feature into people alike. How many times has it been emphasized that you give but to yourself? And where could this be better shown than in the kinds of help the teacher of God gives to those who need his aid? Here is here is his gift most clearly given him, for he will give only what he has chosen for himself. And in this gift is his judgment upon the Holy Son of God. It is, it is easiest. Oh, sorry. It is easiest to let error be corrected where it is most apparent, and errors can be recognized by their results. A lesson truly taught can lead to nothing but release for teacher and pupil who have shared in one intent. Attack can enter only if perception of separate goals has entered. And this must indeed have been the case if the result is anything but joy. The single aim of the teacher turns the the divided goal of the pupil into one direction with the call for help becoming his one appeal. This then is easily responded to with just one answer, and this answer will enter the teacher's mind unfailingly. From there, it shines into his pupil's mind, making it one with his. Perhaps it will be helpful to remember that no one can be angry at effect. It is always an interpretation that gives rise to negative emotions, regardless of their seeming justification by what appears as facts. Regardless, too, of the intensity of the anger that is aroused, it may be merely slight irritation, perhaps too mild to to be even clearly recognized. Or it may also take the form of intense rage, accompanied by thoughts of violence, fantasy, or apparently acted out. It does not matter. All these reactions are the same. They obscure the truth, and this can never be a matter of degree. Either truth is apparent or it is not. It cannot be partially recognized. Who is unaware of truth must look upon illusions. Anger in response to perceived magic thoughts is a basic cause of fear. Consider what this reaction means, and its centrality in the world's thought system becomes apparent. A magic thought, by its mere presence, acknowledges a separation from God. It states in the clearest form possible that the mind which believes it has a separate will that can oppose the will of God also believes it can succeed. That this can hardly be a fact is obvious yet that it can be believed as fact is equally obvious. And herein lies the birthplace of guilt. Who observes the place of God and takes it for himself now has a deadly enemy. And he must stand alone in his protection and make himself a shield to keep him safe from fury that can never, fury that can never be abated and vengeance that can never be satisfied. 
How can this unfair battle be resolved? Its ending is inevitable, for its outcome must be death. How, then, can one believe in one's defenses? Magic again must help. Forget the battle. Accept it as a fact, and then forget it. Do not remember the impossible odds against you. Do not remember the immensity of the enemy, and do not think about your frailty in comparison. Accept your separation, but do not remember how it came about. Believe that you have won it, but do not retain the slightest memory of who your great opponent really is. Projecting your forgetting unto him, it seems to you he has forgotten too. Martha? Reverend, you, oh, you weren't going to read? No, no. I, I no longer read. I only, I only enjoy and saturate okay. and soak in. Yes. <laughs> okay. But what will now be your reaction to all magic thoughts? They can but reawaken sleeping guilt, which you have hidden but have not let go. Each one says clearly to your frightened mind, you have unsurped the place of God. Think not he has forgotten. Here we have the fear of God most starkly represented. For in that thought has guilt already raised madness to the throne of God himself. And now there is no hope except to kill. Here is salvation now. An angry father pursues his guilty son. Kill or be killed. For here alone is choice. Beyond this, there is none. For what was done cannot be done without. The stain of blood can never be removed. And anyone who bears the stain on him must meet with death. Into this hopeless situation, God sends his teachers. They bring the light of hope from God himself. There is a way in which escape is possible. It can be learned and taught but it requires patience and abundant willingness. Given that, the lesson's manifest simplicity stands out like an intense white light against the black horizon, for such it is. If anger comes from an interpretation and not a fact, it is never justified. Once this is even dimly grasped, the way is open. Now it is possible to take the next step. The interpretation can be changed at last. Magic thoughts need not lead to condemnation, for they do not really have the power to give rise to guilt, and so they can be overlooked and thus forgotten in the truest sense. Madness but seems terrible. In truth, it has no power to make anything. Like the magic which becomes its servant, it neither attacks nor protects. To see it and to recognize its thought system is to look on nothing. Can nothing give rise to anger? Hardly so. Remember then, teacher of God, that anger recognizes a reality that is not there, yet is the anger certain witness that you do believe it in it as fact? Now is escape impossible. Until you see you have responded to your own interpretation, which you have projected on an outside world, let this grim sword be taken from you now, there is no death. This sword does not exist. The fear of God is causeless. But his love is cause of everything beyond all fear. 
and thus forever real and always true. Bam! Mm, I love that. I love this writing this, uh, in this section. I think it's so cool. Uh, it feels very like Lord of the Rings. Um, I'm going to read this uh, very simple uh, writing on magical thoughts or magic thoughts just because it has a little clarity and then we'll dive into our conversation. A Course in Miracles uses the concept of magical thinking in two ways. One form of magical thinking is the belief that anything outside of you can make you whole and at peace. For example, the belief that if you just had perfect health or the right partner or enough money or if that person would change or if everything or if everyone just believed as you do, etc., then you would be at peace. Course in Miracles includes in this form of magical thinking the idea that sickness is a form of problem solving. For example, using illness as a way to get attention, to be a victim, to avoid a situation, or as a self-punishment to mitigate God's punishment of you. The belief that the things, uh, the belief that the things that illness would get you saves you is a form of magical thinking. The other form of magical thinking in A Course in Miracles is the belief that change at the level of form is caused at the level of form. For example, the use of medications or other treatments to reduce the symptoms of or to cure an illness in the body. A Course in Miracles says that this is a magical thinking, that this is magical thinking because only changing your thinking can change the body. For those readers who have followed my teaching in one form or another for a while, I will head off some inevitable questions by clarifying that yes, um, I teach only the form of this is the person that I don't need to teach about blah. Okay, so let's get clarity around magical thinking. Magical thinking. So we have, uh, and in this course we talk a lot about false idols or hostages. So a false idol being anything outside of yourself that you believe can uh, save you or can help you um, have, pow- have power over your peace of mind. And a hostage is any one that you believe has power over your peace of mind. And the other form of magical thinking is that, uh, cha- that um, change at the level of form is caused at the level of form. So that you know, I mean, that's real victim consciousness. You know, um, I think that that's where coincidence lives. Luck lives there. But also that um, if, you know, disease or something is healed in the body, we think that it was, the, the cause of that was the medication, that it was the surgery, that whatever it is, it's, it's all at the level of the mind. True healing is done at the level of the mind. So let's all give an example. Let's go uh, through the class and everyone give one example of magical thinking in some way. So I'll begin and I will say that, um, let me think. I will say that, uh, oh God. Ah, okay, yes. That having my family vote the same way I voted would somehow create more harmony and peace in my life 
and help me love them easier. Make loving them easier if they would vote the same way I voted. That's magical thinking. Okay. Um, Mark, an example of magical thinking. Um, that uh, getting a certain kind of job is going to have me feel fulfilled in life. Perfect. Great. Magical thinking that somehow your job is going to save you. Perfect. Jennifer. Um, that if I can make enough money and retire by the age of 50, then I can really, you know, do something with my life. Yes, beautiful. That retiring early is somehow going to save you, create safety around you, and give you, uh, really give you the opportunity to change, to change the world. Yeah, beautiful. Yes. Perfect. Great. Brandon. That if I avoid, quote, toxic, end quote, people, that I will enjoy my life and relationships more. Okay. That is, I'm so glad you said that, Brandon, because that is something that we all really, 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 really have to be aware of is that there's, I think, especially in like spiritual communities, the fact that there's like some sort of like honor in, you know, I'm getting rid of toxic, I, you know, I told yeah. those people to hit the curb, you know. I'm, I was, that's uh, like a triggering word for me. I'm like, your own, like, you cannot attract a toxic relationship unless you're a part of that. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> not possible. <laughs> well, and you're seeing, some, you're seeing them for something that they're not, mm-hmm. right? You're just projecting your own guilt onto them, thinking that they're the, they're the reason that you feel upset. They're the reason that you feel upset. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. You know, it's Reverend Jennifer really helped me, really saved my relationship uh, with my sister because there was a moment in our history where my sister was dating this guy and he was a total drug addict and alcoholic and she was drinking and she was a mess and I was just like, she's so toxic, you know, that whole thing. And I'm just going to tell her if she doesn't leave him, then she's out of my life. And I got so many people to sign off on that story and that approach. And I'm so grateful that something in me said, run that by Jennifer. And I did. And Jennifer just looked at me and she goes, yeah, that's really loving. (laughs) Wow. How loving to tell your sister that, you know, she has to change or else she has no place in your life. And then she said something and it really, I mean, this changed my life. And she just said, why don't you start speaking to the woman that you know she could be? Start speaking to the smart, vivacious, creative, fun woman that she can be in. Tell her that you're not buying, you know, the other version, the fuck up, drunk version, and and that you're only going to talk to the successful, smart woman that you know that she is. And I started to do that. And I have to tell you, it completely transformed our relationship. I let go of the belief that my sister has to be or do or act a certain way in order to be in my life and in order for me to earn my love, you know? So it completely changed the game for me. 
It doesn't mean you have to stick around personalities that you're not interested in hanging out with. You know, you can always, always do what brings you joy, you know, what feels good to you. But you got to stop the story that, like, oh, their energy is so bad, I can't be around them anymore. Like, change your mind. You're, it's, it's not their energy that needs to be addressed. So good, Brandon. I'm so glad you brought that up. Thanks. Yeah. Um, thank you, Brandon. Um, well, you know what? Let's just take – I really feel like that specific topic – deserves a little conversation. Does anyone have anything that they'd like to contribute to that conversation? Because it's a really big one. And, it's, and as spiritual counselors, you got to know, people are going to come to you wanting you to sign off on them, you know, like cleaning, doing house cleaning. I'm going to clear out all these toxic people out of my life. They're going to ask you to sign off on that. And you got to be mindful of that shit because it's bullshit. All right, go ahead. Um, yeah, I'll say something about that because I'm kind of doing that right now. (laughs) Uh, I have decided that there are certain people in my life who only have negative drama and who I feel like they come to me all the time for me to listen to them and give them my sweet advice, but they never ask me how I'm doing. They never, like, seem to really care what's going on in my life. They just want to tell me their drama and get answers. And so, you know, I'm starting to sort of walk towards people who want to have deep, cool conversations, who can sit around a dinner table and talk about spirituality rather than sort of like the drama of the day. And, uh, and it's some, you know, and I'm, I'm, that's what I've been doing. And so, you know, I think that there is something, you know, what I got out of what Jennifer had, some of the Jennifer Hadley speeches was that I don't have to save these people. I don't have to sit with these people. If hearing their constant drama and, and giving them my love and support has not brought them to a place where they can see past that, then I don't have to like having dinner with them. I don't have to go spend my time with them. So that's kind of where I got this idea, and that's kind of where I'm at. So, perfect. Now, how do we, like as a practitioner, let's say somebody, let's say Jennifer comes to you and she's like, I have all these people in my life, and all they want is for me to listen to their problem and give them advice, but nobody cares about what, they don't care about what I'm interested in. I want people in my life that are interested and what I'm interested in, and we can have spiritual conversations and stuff like that. How could we support her and guide her? Because she's done the work herself, so she already knows. But that's a common experience. So how would you, as a practitioner, um, offer her support? What's one thing that, that, that we should be clear of? It's, what does it mean? Um, so she has people in her life who uh, are constantly asking for her support but not really interested in what she's giving. So what does that mean about those people? What is the first thing that we have to remind her about those people? They're innocent? Yes, exactly. They're totally innocent, right? 
So good. So that's taken care of. So we don't have to project any beliefs or judgments onto them that they're needy, that they're um, energy suckers. We call, I used to call clients that I would personal train, some of them were fun sponges, and they just suck all the fun out of the room. Um, so they're not fun sponges. You know, they're nothing like that. They're perfectly innocent, and they can have whatever conversations that they'd like to have. Great. So that's done. So now we know as spiritual practitioners that what we think about, we create more of. So how could we guide Jennifer to create experiences that she'd like to have? So if she knows now that she prefers to have conversations that are spiritual in nature, uplifting, and things like that, how would you guide her to creating that as a reality for her life? Turn around the conversation. Uh huh. Yeah. Mm hmm. How so? Give a little more explanation well, on that. By using the work to do the turnaround on it. So she's often when someone's complaining that other people aren't doing something, it's usually that they're not doing it. So Great. giving her mm-hmm. to see where, where she may be not doing that for herself or in her own world. Um, mm-hmm. Create some perspective. Yeah, and so we talked about patterns. So a great place at that point too, Mark, would be, you know, say, where is there anywhere else in your life that you experience this where people are constantly needing something from you but not necessarily giving you what you need? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And inevitably, there'll probably be multiple places that she has that experience. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's with her relatives, her dad, her whatever, you know, maybe it's there. And then we're like, great, now you have a pattern. So what do you get out of that? And as you peel the things away, and Jennifer, I'm just using the situation as an example, not you, but maybe she begins to understand that she gets something out of being needed, that as long as she's needed, then she has value, she has worth. But since she's doing the spiritual work, she's understanding that she already has value, that she's perfect and complete as she is. She doesn't need to be the savior in every situation to have value. You know, she doesn't have to rescue anyone. And so now we can help her shift her attention to what she's interested in, which is fulfilling relationships, and keep her mind completely focused on what she's interested in. And what do we know happens when we shift our attention and stay focused on what we're interested in, what begins to happen? We start to create it. Exactly, yeah. We start to have more of it. Now, what's really fascinating is oftentimes when we, let, when we uh, release our judgment of certain people, those actually become the people that they become your perfect friendships. They become the people that you start to have those relationships with, those conversations with. And so the people that once were really needy now become people that are bringing food to the table. And you get to enjoy it because you're not in judgment of them. But you can also, like Jennifer said, you can be in total acceptance that there are personalities that you don't prefer to spend your time with. So you don't have to spend your time. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. You never have to... You never have to see anybody ever again if you so choose. And yet, it still doesn't make them bad. It makes them perfectly innocent. Because the truth of who they are is not their personality. It's not their belief systems. The truth of who they are is that they're a child of God, perfect, whole, and complete. 
Well, I'm very glad Brandon brought this up. <laughs> right? Well, that is, I mean, a big, 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 big thing that you hear a lot, you know, like whenever someone, I mean, I've, I've, had, I've had friends come to me upset. I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, someone just told me that I'm toxic and that they really can't, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm not really in alignment with what they're creating for themselves. And so they can't really spend that much time. They don't want to invest their time on me anymore. I was like, Jesus. Somebody said that to you? Like, that's fucked up, man. Was it Brandon? <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell was you it? how many people, how many times Brandon's roommates have called me and just said. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, yeah. that, well, I will say this came up in the homework, too, because that Jennifer Hadley comment about uh, the only success we need to concern ourselves. And there was the question was, how does that resonate with you and my, you know, I get really hung up on all these preconceived ideas about, uh, you know, how you have to go to the mountain to become spiritual and you can't, I can't do it right here, right now because I, you know, everything needs to be quiet and I need to have, you know, all these lists of things that are, that, that we have to do and what it's supposed to look like and, so anyway, you know, this just plays into that. This is just another example of where I'm looking at people saying, I can't do this in this life that I have today. I have to keep changing my life in order to achieve whatever I'm walking towards. That's a brilliant insight, Jennifer. Brilliant insight, girlfriend. Brandon, you were going to say something? Oh, um, I think it also goes, for me, it was like, well, I was on a kind of, like, giggling when people say, talk, like, talk about toxic people for, like, a couple of years now, and uh, it was really big um, in the show that I was on, also in the conversation of, um the terms boundaries and vulnerability and I literally just start laughing every time someone would talk about that because I could see what was actually going on <laughs> um and you know and I I recently found myself where I'm like oh I'm gonna set a boundary but then I'm like that's not actually how it works um because I because mean, <laughs> because the boundary is like protecting me not from something like it's literally like when I put like when I create a boundary for myself, I literally just fence myself in, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't. There's nothing. There's nowhere for me to go once I create that boundary because I'm suddenly like can't go towards a person that reminds me of that person. Can't go towards that situation because it like it literally just like like re- removes the idea of freedom from my relationships, um, and. <laughs> Basically, you know, instead focusing on what we want. So, like, you know, Jennifer and, like, I don't say I don't want to hang out with people necessarily, but I choose the things I would rather do instead. And when I find myself in those situations where people are just, like, harping on it, I literally just point blank am like, do you want a spiritual solution to this? And if they're like, no, nah, I just don't want to talk about it. I'm like, all right, cool. Then uh, I'm going to move on now. And, uh, um, and, and then I usually resolve it. So people, 
like my friends usually know that um, they're not going to like, and you know, I'm not perfect, obviously, like there's times where I'm gossiping and whatever, but generally my friends usually know that uh, they're usually only going to come to me with an issue if they're ready for, you know, to talk about it from a spiritual perspective. Um, And that's because for me, I'm like ultra sensitive. It's not that I'm enlightened and I don't want to hear that bullshit. It's like, I'm ultra sensitive to it. So it affects me um, probably more than, you know, the average person. So I, um, it it would, it would throw me off um, if I were to engage in that kind of talk, especially like in the morning on my way to work or something like that. Um, So that the whole toxic relationship things is it's just funny. And especially like in spiritual community, it's like, you know, you can, you can label almost anyone toxic at any given moment. So it's like, what are we doing? Trying to stop hanging out with each other and, you know, prevent healing. <laughs> so, Well, a lot of times people are going through some real shit, you know, and, and need support. And it's that idea of how do you respond to a cry for love? You know, mm-hmm. how do you respond to a cry for love? Is it, ugh, you're so toxic right now. I just, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's really hurtful. <laughs> like that's not very loving. Um, and I also would like to just take, um, to reference Jennifer, what you said, because a very common experience, honey, is that belief that, you know, we have to have stillness and it, we have to be able to, you know, like you said, going to the mountain to find peace. But um, the um, in meditate in, in like Vedic meditation, I know that they talk about you know the monks and the householders. And who do you think has an easier? Who do you think is on the faster track to enlightenment? The monks or the householders? And householders would be us, people that are in the world working jobs, you know, doing the do. Householders. Why, Ellie? Because they're presented with challenges and have to put it to use every day. Exactly. Exactly. And so we have to apply the principles in situations that are, um, that demand our attention because they're in our faith. So if you would take a monk who's been in a, cave meditating for 20 years and bring him to the middle of Manhattan, how quickly do you think that peace that he spent 30 years cultivating is going to leave him? Pretty quickly. But we, the householders here, we have the great gift of the wonderful teacher, the 405 freeway. You know, we have um, you know, we have walking down the streets of, of West Hollywood or the downtown Seattle. You know, we have um, events and, and promotions and, and um, you know, people all around us. We live, in, we live in cities with millions of people bumping into you, needing your attention, trying to sell you things. And to be able to maintain the peace of God in all of these situations massively strengthens your ability to be present and in alignment if you allow it to be. So um, it's such such a good, everyone's bringing up such great 
points, such great um, topics of discussion, because these are things that we have all, you know, we've all um, done. But at the same time, referencing um, Goldsmith's uh, teaching about do less, accomplish more, why do you think that when you go on vacation, when you go on your retreats, you turn the cell phone off, why do you think when you come home, everything seems to be flowing perfectly and like the phone rings and the thing that you've been working on for the last three months just happens effortlessly without you being there? Because you've let go. You're allowing things to unfold. You know, the universe hears, you know, the universe is watering the seeds that you plant. But we can t- when we have our hands in it, when we think we have to do the work, when we think we know what's best, we're constantly digging the, the seeds up, looking at them, asking why aren't you growing, and then trying to replant them, and then nothing grows. And we wonder why. So, um, I'm on fire today. I'm, I'm, you guys are, I am ignited. I love it. I'm going to go change change the landscape of my life today after this phone call. Thanks, guys. But let's, let's keep going down. Ellie, what's, a, what's an example of a magical thought? A magical thought. So far we've had my career can save me. So far we've had uh, getting <clears throat> toxic people out of the way can save me. What else? What's another example of a magical thought? Um, but everyone brought up the ones I wanted to say. Let's see. If If this person likes me, that makes me worthy. Good. Yes. Yes. I think that if you live in Los Angeles, you definitely, you know, you have the experience of celebrity, right? And if certain celebrity, you know, to be in the presence of certain celebrities means something, you know, and uh, means something about you and your inherent value, your social value. But it can also mean, too, you know, like, what does the recruiting officer think of you? What does your, uh, what does the casting director think of you? If the casting director likes me and gets it, then, you know, then I'm going to um, be worthy of something. You know, what does my mother think about me? If my mother approves of my lifestyle, Ellie, what does my grandmother think of me? If my grandmother approves of me, sees me, accepts me, gets me, understands me, acknowledges that through her love and generosity, then I can finally be at peace. Then I'll know that I've accomplished what I needed to accomplish. These are all great examples of magical thinking. Beautiful. Uh, Soki, what's an what's a example of magical, a magical thought? A magical thought that um, <laughs> just like the recent campaign I had for my friend who needs uh, heart surgery. What did like, you say? Uh huh. Yeah, I I I I made a campaign in Facebook for Ida Santos heart surgery, raising twenty five thousand mm-hmm. dollars at GoFundMe. Mm-hmm. I know that. Um, the surgery will not uh, make her perfect colon complete because she's already perfect colon complete uh, in the spirit room. But the love that is pouring, you know, from 
individuals that I don't know, money keep on coming. I, it's like magic. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm just surprised when I, I, I open my email, oh, there is this $200 coming from this person that I don't even know. Mm-hmm. So Well, the, the, uh, the magical thought there then, Soki, would be, one, the magical thought would be that she needs to have the surgery. The surgery yes. is going to ha- the surgery is going to save her. The surgery is going to make her whole and complete. You know, uh-huh. that's the magical thought is that the surgery that it, the surgery is the most important thing here. So that's the magical thought and thinking that she has to have the surgery. Now, does that mean we don't raise money so she can have the surgery? Of course not. But we understand that the surgery is not going to save her. We understand that. Her, her surviving this, this experience of this procedure, her body surviving it, is, that's a magical thought too, that we can only be at peace if the right thing, the best thing, is if she, her body survives this experience. Because that's attachment to the belief that she's this body and that um, whether she makes it or not you know, is going to affect our peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Right, so the 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 miracle is transcending all of those beliefs and just keep staying firmly focused on our intention to experience peace, the peace of God, no matter what, and to trust that the greatest good is always unfolding. Yeah. So then, then we're really free, and we follow our inspired ideas. And if your inspired idea in that frame of mind is to do a GoFundMe campaign, you do it without attachment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Beautiful. Great. Well, we have one more. Martha. Thank you, Sophie, for sharing. That's great. That's a, I mean, that's a whole can of worms just in itself, but we'll just, since we have five minutes remaining, we'll, <laughs> we'll keep it focused. That more money will bring more happiness. Yep. There you go. Yep, more money will bring more happiness. Perfect. That's the only one that's that's actually a spiritual truth. Um, I believe that there's the uh, the additional book that they left out of the Course in Miracles that talks about um, how money is actually awesome and will is the actual key to the kingdom. Um, so make that money, guys. <laughs> I'm joking. Just in case. Just in case. We're joking. Um, beautiful, everyone. This was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful class. I am just so grateful for, for, um, for these conversations. Just really quick, a couple things. Um, house cleaning sort of things. Uh, we're going to start turning our attention to the retreat. There's a lot of work that needs to be done that I've not done on that yet because, you know, the new year is approaching the holidays. So I'll be sending out the links. If you have not paid in full, let's get that done. Also, if you would like to contribute uh, a few extra dollars uh, that we could put towards scholarships for people and just to pay the full amount, uh, I'd really appreciate that. Um, absolutely not required, but very uh, welcomed and appreciated. Um, the, the retreat is February 2nd through the 5th. 
make sure that those dates are uh, blocked off on your calendars, February 2nd through the 5th. It's in San Bernardino, California, which is about an hour and a half to two-hour drive from L.A. Um, it's at a campground. I'll send you all the information that you need on everything uh, so you can be well-prepared. Uh, I think that you might want to bring, like, an extra blanket and pillow. Or actually, no, you might want to bring bedding, like a sleeping bag bedding. I think that for an additional, like, $14 or something like that, they'll provide you with bedding. But, uh, you know, this is like straight up like summer camp. Uh, we're taking over a kid's summer camp play facility. <laughs> also, very important, please send me, um, and this isn't, I'm not asking for preferences. I'm asking for food allergies. Like, uh, listen, we haven't all transcended the experience of food allergies to this point. But if you're allergic to something or absolutely cannot eat, if you're a vegan, vegetarian, you got to let me know so I can let them know because they'll actually make uh, meals for you. You know, they'll make sure that there's options for everybody. So um, it's a really cool place. Um, that's all I got. Uh, and also tomorrow at Inspire is our holiday extravaganza. We're going to start at 1130 a.m. with Ask the Elders, which is one of my favorite things that we do. So it's our panel discussion with LGBTQ elders. It just gives LGBTQ adults the opportunity to harvest the wisdom of those that went before. So we'll do that. That's the entire service, an hour and a half of that. And then we'll do our holiday potluck and white elephant gift exchange. And we're also collecting non-perishable goods for Triangle Square. So got a lot going on tomorrow. And I look forward to um, spreading the holiday cheer with you all. And I love you all. Any questions? Beautiful. Um, I really am uh, thrilled to see the uh, so many people have already confirmed, uh, signed up for the ministerial program. I think that's very exciting. If you'd like to, um, if you were on the informational call and would like to ask some more questions, feel free to call me uh, or email me and we'll set that up. And also, um, if you would like to uh, confirm, email me, let me know. Um, those Five people have confirmed so far. Those five have been registered for the leader champion training with Mark Anthony Lord. Five is our max. And so uh, if you are interested, we'll uh, talk about what you'll be doing um, or learning from, uh, you know, getting in contact with someone that took the training so you can get the information and learn. Um, and that's all I got. That's all I got. Any questions? Any thoughts? Beautiful. So just taking a deep breath in, a breath of gratitude, so grateful, so thankful for the opportunity to just connect at the level of the heart, to do this work with each other, grateful to have such mighty companions, knowing that where we are, perfect love is, and it's so good to know that. And we share all the benefits of this knowing with everyone because we're one with them. And in grace and gratitude, we release this word, we let it be, and so it is. Amen, amen, amen. Have a beautiful day, everybody. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Bye.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.